Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. This week's show is a triple feature. Food movements are burgeoning. If we can help one person or two people, then it was all worth it. What you just heard was an excerpt from the trailer for VPM's newest docu-series, Life in the Heartland, which looks at how people in rural Virginia are creating solutions to challenges like broadband access, recycling, farming, and housing. Before that, we'll hear about the documentary workshop and the festivals sponsored by the Oakwood Arts Center. Then we'll visit with some people from the Tidewater area to talk about a new indie film, The Mardi Gras Man, which was just at Movieland last weekend and has upcoming viewings in other areas of the state. Unstable. John Owen Lowe was inspired to create this series based on his own relationship with his father, Rob Lowe. Rob plays the genius behind a high-tech biological firm, and John Owen plays his son, who returns home to work in his father's company. Their relationship forms much of the show's story, but the expansion to the workforce includes some comic gems, including Sean Clifford with her dry British delivery and Aaron Branch as the clueless assistant. Toss in a pair of twins who look nothing like each other, and Fred Armisen as the twisted house guest. On top of this, Rob Lowe has never been funnier, and John Owen, who kind of looks like Frankie Muniz from Malcolm in the Middle, also has some of his dad's mannerisms. Their dynamic forms a solid center to the show. Not only is the entire cast skilled at generating the most laughs out of every line, they're helped by the sharp, clever writing. Combine this with a snappy pace and splashes of eccentricity, and you get a truly funny but simultaneously sweet little comedy. I gave Unstable four and a half out of five stars. So I'm talking with Jasmine Elmore, who's the production coordinator at the Oakwood Arts Center. Tell me, first of all, what is Oakwood Arts? So Oakwood Arts is a nonprofit here in the Churchill area that has a mission of um, making art accessible to all through various programs and live events. We have a program called OAJET, which is an education to an employment pathway that's all about helping um, emerging artists from various backgrounds get onto film sets. You have a monthly film festival. What's that about and what's the subject of it? Or is it different every month? That is the East End Film Society, and it does vary every month. Um, We have a guest filmmaker and artist, and they present one or several of their works along with any works that inspire them. For instance, this month, April 13th, we're having Ariana Hamidi, and they will be screening 16 millimeter works. So the other thing that you've been doing for, this is the fourth one coming up on April 22nd, is workshops on producing documentaries. Tell us why you decided to do that and what that's about. Oakwood Arts has partnered with Bell Tower Pictures to do a monthly five-part documentary filmmaking workshop series called How to Make a Documentary Film. Um, the Let me just interrupt you real quickly and tell you their newest film, Anahita, will be featured on this show in about two weeks, Bell Towers film. So that's cool. The next workshop is the 22nd. What's great is like the next, the day after, I think Anahita is screening at the Bird Theater. Correct. So we're, but the main reason, you know, we wanted to make this workshop is because there are just so many stories out there from so many people across different varying backgrounds. And sometimes 
you know, not everyone has the money to go to film school. Not everyone has the access to these tools to start documentary production. So having these like relatively cheap $35 workshops, there are also scholarships to help those who might not be able to afford that fee. You know, it's just creating this entirely new wave of emerging artists. And we are so excited to see what films and products come from this. This month, April 22nd, we're going over the hard part, paying for your film and distributing it. (laughs) And then in May, we're doing um, editing the film. So Jasmine, what's your background? Are you in film video type production yourself? You know, I realized growing up, I've always loved film. So I applied and I got into, I got a four-year scholarship to go to VCU's photo film program, which I graduated from last May. And so now, you know, I'm both an experimental and narrative filmmaker that would love to branch out into documentary. And I also work as an installation artist. Oh my goodness. You do a little bit of all of it. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) So the workshop is coming up on the 22nd. Who are you going to have speaking? For that segment, we're going to be having Angie Kane, Heather Waters, and Justin Lauder. And they'll be um, covering subjects surrounding budgeting, funding, distribution, and the legality surrounding documentary filmmaking, as well as insurance. So if people want to get involved, either coming to the workshops or coming to the films, everything's available for the public, right? Anybody can come. They just need to go to the website and sign up. Yes. They can either go to Oakwood Arts website or go to our um, Instagram. And all of those links are in the bios. And I know that you also said you were posting a link to the website for registration for that Bell Tower workshop. As far as Easton Film Society goes, if anyone would like to submit work, and be a speaker, they can contact me at jasmine at oakwoodarts.org and I can help set that up. All right, Jasmine, I want to thank you very much. It sounds like y'all doing a lot of great, interesting stuff over there. So uh, we'll look forward to maybe having one of those filmmakers back on here to talk about their movie. Absolutely. And thank you for spreading the word. We really appreciate it. That was Jasmine Elmore from Oakwood Arts talking about their documentary workshops and their monthly film festival. There are links on the webpage for this show at TV Jerry. Now let's travel to the Tidewater area to hear about a new indie film, The Mardi Gras Man, which was just at Movie Land last weekend. First, I want to welcome Chris Corkolo back to Sifter for the Ear. You were on for Michigan Hell House a couple of weeks ago, weren't you? I was. Great, great interview. I had a great time meeting you and seeing everybody that we had shot with two years ago. And at that time, you mentioned this movie, Mardi Gras Man. And so we're talking about that today. And also the other guest is the director, Dave Hobbs. Welcome, Dave. Hi. So first of all, tell me, what's your background, Dave? How did you get into this directing gig? (laughs) Long story short, I was 20 years in the Navy. Did a little bit of acting before that, but really got into acting after that. And then a few years ago, I started directing the 48-hour film project with my own team. And the producers of Mardi Gras Man saw those films and asked me to direct this feature. Footnote. The 48-hour film project is an international competition that gives filmmakers a chance to write, shoot, and edit a short film in one weekend. So where did this idea for Mardi Gras Man come about? It obviously wasn't your idea. Somebody else pitched it to you, Dave. Well, Jesse Sanzo was the uh, screenwriter for this um, particular film. It's uh, kind of based on a little bit on his own experience. And this script's been around for quite a while. It got a little bit of traction, but just didn't go anywhere. And so Jesse and Bob Shepard pulled the script out again and said, let's let's do this. So Chris, how did you get involved? 
So I think it was back in 2020 was the first time I heard about it. And that was with Bob Shepard. Bob Bob had reached out to me, said, hey, are you interested? He sent me the script and uh, I fell in love with the story. I said, absolutely, let's do this. And of course, that was right. I mean, right before COVID. And so things things didn't work out to a hiatus for a little while there. a little bit yeah and then um then it picked back up again and then there was i guess probably maybe at the end of 2020 or early 2021 we held off a little bit because of funding issues and then next thing we know it's early 2022 and we got it going you know it was a, it was a multi-year process for me Right, right. Now, you mentioned the story. What is the basic story of this? Obviously, the Mardi Gras somehow figures into it or not. So uh, I play Jansen Holloway. Jansen is struggling a little bit with his wife. Um, it ends up that he meets a local cop, female cop, and, uh, you know, sparks fly a little bit. He's uh, sort of juggling these two women, and then there's a third woman that comes in for a little bit. Oh, my goodness. No wonder you like this role so much, Chris. (laughs) It was was a lot of fun, put it that way. Where does Mardi Gras figure into it? He runs to get some exercise, and it's a little chilly out, so he wears this mask and a bright yellow shirt when he runs. Well, the mask has this kind of funny design on it. It ends up that during his nightly runs, he encounters this female cop that he had some eyes for uh but she's in some trouble so he ends up kind of saving her anonymously she doesn't know it's him nobody knows who it is because of this mask but it's a colorful mask and it's got this design on it so the witnesses at the scene made a statement to the press that it looked like he stepped out of a mardi gras parade and then it becomes this uh, you know vigilante superhero who is this guy kind of story and meanwhile he's just a regular guy trying to you know save his marriage and be a normal guy and so that's what's kind of interesting and fun about this story so obviously this was not shot in new orleans where was this shot dave and when it was shot in phoebus uh virginia which is kind of a little i would call it a little suburb of hampton it's just across the water from uh norfolk and virginia beach with all local crew i'm assuming too local crew local a lot of uh local actors uh, we did have a few guest stars come in from where most notably we had gary hudson who can be found in the uh, movie with patrick swayze roadhouse okay Uh, he's one of the bouncers in roadhouse and then he's had a very uh, long career since then so what is the process now what's happening with the mardi gras man where's he going (laughs) well we had the premiere there in hampton in phoebus at the american theater it was very well received packed house and then since then, we've been working on getting it into some theaters so people can see it on the big screen. Uh, we've had it down in North Carolina for a couple of nights. We've had it up in Cape Charles at the Historic Palace Theater. And it was just at Richmond last weekend. Yes, at the uh, Bowtie Movieland. We are also going to be showing it at the Cinema Cafe in Hampton coming up the 24th through the 27th of April. So I'm assuming at some point there are attempts to get distribution as well? Exactly. That's what we're working on right now. We're talking to different distributors to see who's going to give us the best deal and the best, uh, the most widely uh, distributed product. What was the biggest challenge in producing this, Dave? Probably the biggest challenge was trying to get it filmed in a short period of time. We set a goal for two weeks 
And um, it took us about 18 days total filming, very long days, usually 12 to 14 hours at least, sometimes longer. Sounds glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. Well, the last question I always like to ask everybody is, what are you watching when you're not out promoting the Mardi Gras, man? What are you watching, Dave? What are you watching, Chris? I'm kind of a Marvel uh, movie kind of guy. So whenever those come out, I think the last one I saw was Wakanda. Oh, no, I saw uh, Quantumania. It was a bit of a yawn. Yeah. For a Marvel guy, it was fun to watch uh, the different characters and, and what they do. But I liked more that they connected it with the um, Loki right. TV show. Chris, how about you? I am finally, shame on me, finally watching Breaking Bad. Oh, wow. Um, you know, my wife had watched it once already. And when she was watching it, I would drop in and catch a few episodes, but never all the way through. And shame on me because it's incredible. So we're about, uh, we're into season three right now. Really well done. And, um, and so, yeah, Breaking Bad. Love it. All right, gentlemen, I want to thank you so much. I'm sorry we weren't able to get you on before it played Movie Land, but uh, hopefully once it gets streaming, I'll be able to announce where people can watch it. Absolutely. Great. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate that. Thank you for having us on. That was director Dave Hobbs and leading actor Chris Corkolo from The Mardi Gras Man, talking about their indie, which just played Movie Land last weekend. There's a link to the film with info about other screenings on the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com. Let's go a bit closer to home and even further away. Life in the Heartland is a docuseries airing on VPM, and the further away part is the subject of the series, how rural Virginia communities are creating solutions to problems that are unique to their area. We must stand in the heartland. Okay, we're going to talk about Life in the Heartland with two people. First of all, Lysandra Peterson with Deep Structure Productions and Mason Mills, who is the executive producer and an employee of VPM. Mason, you and I have known each other. I remember we edited a project together in 1995 called Class Action. That's right. Do you remember anything about it except that I was a wonderful producer director? That's all I remember is how great <laughs> you were on it. Yeah, no, I remember a lot of it. A lot of yeah. long days and nights in the edit suite, but I learned a lot from you. Believe oh. it or not. My and some things I kept. <laughs> <laughs> the good ones, I hope. Lisandro, tell us who you are and what is Deep Structure Productions? Yeah, so we're a small family-owned uh, production company in Stanton. Uh, I grew up here and the company is myself, my brother, and my husband. So we do client shoots and we also do narrative feature films and short films and fun creative content like that that we enjoy. And then we fund it with client work. Where did the original idea for Life in the Heartland come from? Jamie, our CEO, president, and then Steve Humble, our chief content officer, they were talking about how we need to represent the rural areas more. And we had a associate, KT Eaton, and she's fantastic. And she came up with this idea of life in the heartland. And it was about going out and doing these stories of issues that face people in the rural areas, but how they come up with the solutions. We were friends with KT um, just through the Stanton sort of area film, Shenandoah Valley film community. And she was really like inspired and moving toward this idea of this show. Do one of you want to mention what some of the subjects have been so far so we have some kind of idea and then I'll ask you that follow-up question. So the eight topics that we've done so far, we started with broadband access because that was kind of the most, the clearest, really prominent issue that faces a lot of rural Virginia. Um, and we had this great solution pair, which was the electric cooperatives bringing internet to their territories, food insecurity, uh, farming, plastics, waste and recycling, 
the housing crisis. Uh, we've done one on immigrant farmers and let's see, what, what am I forgetting? Mason? Monica nation, the Monica Indian nation and, and, and of, justice yeah. reform and justice reform. Yeah. Do you find a way to make these stories uplifting? So it's not just, here's the problem, but also here's a solution I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was definitely one of KT's original visions was, um, that it, it'd be solution oriented and to show, yeah, that sort of like uplift and mutual aid kind of from within communities, within rural communities. And there's a great bell hooks quote that I've got on my folder of all my heartland stuff. And it, I can't remember the exact quote right now, but it's based, it's along the lines of if you present a problem and no solution, then you leave people in despair and that will just perpetuate the status quo. Basically, it'll it, it will not eventually solve the problem that you are presenting. And I think that's one danger of, of so much of like the news cycle and a lot of a lot of media. It just, it you know, whatever is the problem is going to get the attention if it and leads it leads exactly yeah and and i think that's having a really damaging effect on our psyche overall it is i think could be a challenge with the sort of attention spans of like modern audiences to make people want to watch a 26 minute episode when so much content now is so short but it's but i'm hoping that just to get them in and yeah we we try to both make it uplifting in a broad way and also just like fun to watch like we you know bring them in with those little funny snippets of the turkey pecking at him and stuff right, like that. Right. The actual pilot episode was November of 2021. It's 2023. So what's the history on how much got started and where are we now? What we did is we did the pilot. And then when the pilot was successful, we looked at it, it you know, VPM is really making a case now of let's just not dive right in. Let's figure out if, is this the right thing to do? Pretty much as soon as that aired, we started talking about the next seven. It took a little while, and, and we're, now we're trying to figure out how to get season two done by this time next year. You know, when you're doing these docu-series where you're uncovering stories, it takes time. hours and hours and hours of stuff that's not making the shows. I right. mean, you, you've even gone down paths that you've stopped, and then you've gone on to other things. So it's a process. And I'm assuming when you mentioned the pilot, that was the broadband connection? Was that the first Correct. one? Yep. Okay. okay. And, you know, that one was received really well. We ended up, uh, the broadband uh, groups, the co-ops have used it. They saw it as one of the best ways to communicate their work. They even invited us to a huge conference they had. So how do you find the stories? You said there was a committee. How do you figure out what are the issues and who to talk to to cover them? It's not really a committee. It's more of deep structure. No, like we said, they know their rural area. They come up with a lot of ideas. We may have a few that we put on the list. But really, every idea gets on the list, and then you start kind of paring it down. When you guys greenlit the pilot, you also had asked me for what are some other things you could do, I think, to just make VPM feel a little better that that, that might be a good, you know, investment. And I was like, oh, I have no shortage of ideas. I've, I have a lot of topics that I'm really interested in because I've always been really interested in documentary and what, you know, documentary film can do. So that's it's no shortage of, yeah stuff I'm interested in. So at least what is the production process? Well, so far it's, we're still sort of figuring that out, I guess. Um, we've learned a lot in these past eight episodes. So, um, ideally we do some pre-interviews and stuff. So, so for the first batch of these last ones, we kind of knew who we wanted. We reached out, we said, are you interested? Cause we want to make sure that we are not jumping in too quickly with people that are going to end up not being really comfortable on film or not wanting to share their story with us. 
Because really what we want to find for each one of these episodes is like a protagonist that we can follow and come back to and we see things happen to them. We haven't we didn't quite find that for all of them because that really is challenging. Not everybody wants their story really like they'll they'll sit down with you for an hour, but they're not necessarily going to be like, come into my life and follow me for three right. months or whatever. And I always want to make sure that I'm distinguishing when I'm thinking about solutions between kind of band-aid solutions that are just filling the gaps between the really problematic structures in our society and solutions that are really like looking at those structures and going, what's the big issue, like big picture issue here and how can we address that? So community land trusts, for instance, when you think about the housing crisis, not just let's build more more houses cheaply as quickly as we can, but why is housing a commodity? Why should it cost so much just to be safe somewhere, you know, it should be a human right type thing. So let me just mention it also beautifully shot. No, thank you. It really is beautifully shot. And they really think about it from that cinematographer mindset. It's the cinema verite style. We're going to go in, try not to influence, but try to observe and capture. To get into these things like restorative justice and like the housing issues, I mean, there are times that, you know, there's tons of information you're trying to get succinctly down and they have a really good knack for paring it down. And then how you get those nuances and those details, that's where it gets really difficult because you want to walk out of there with some solutions and ideas, but you don't want it to turn into like the manual or something. You don't want it to be something that just list after list. Keep it personal. Keep it personal. Keep right, it. Right, why right. does it really matter? We love them for that. They want to know why it matters. And so their discoveries are our discoveries as viewers. And of course, one of the biggest challenges is, as you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, you don't have voiceover, you don't have reporters. So it's got to be told through these people's words, which is more of a challenge, obviously. Knowing that you've got a documentary that no narration, can't really set it up. Does that change your interview style? I guess it really never actually occurred to me to do to do voiceover, weirdly enough. And I think it's because I don't really, I want to know what other people know. I don't go into, you know, an interview with a guy from the Dominican Republic who's running a half, a, you know, half acre farm in Lawrenceville being like, I think I know something about what you've been through. So I'm I'm just here for you to kind of fill me in on the gaps and then I'm going to tell your story. And I'm like, I genuinely don't know what, what your life has been like and I want to know. And that's true if I'm interviewing the, the superintendent of the jail too. Like that was a really um, challenge. Like a lot of those ones for the justice episode were really challenging and they were an hour, two hours long in some cases with lots of like both detailed like logistical sort of questions how does a jail work and all this stuff and then really big picture like do you think jails will ever go away why do you think people come to jail those those sorts of really big things but I mean it's just a genuine position of like I don't I do not know very much about this so tell me tell me what you know so obviously the show started in November 2021 and there are episodes airing now What's the deal with that? When are more released and where can people check it out? Not just one night on VPM, right? Right. You can go to vpm.org slash heartland and you can find out all the info about the upcoming episodes. You can read articles about it. There's all kinds of things. We have a bunch of different video snippets that have been added. So there's a lot to do on the website, but if you just want to binge five episodes you can do that right now and you can also tune in on thursday nights at 8 30 
right after focal point at eight o'clock so it's an hour of local content and they're all free they're all free so one last question i like to ask everybody that's totally unrelated to this when you have time and you're not working what do you like to watch what are you watching now i have a three-year-old and a six-year-old so we mainly watch we watch bluey which is great i right. actually love that show um yeah i don't watch a lot of grown-up stuff these days that we we used to my husband and i obviously we lived in la and we get the screeners and we used to be very up to date on all this stuff but I did finally watch uh, Wakanda Forever, which was amazing. Right. What right. about you, Mason? Well, I'm kind of on the Ted Lasso kick. You know? There you go. And, That's great. Yeah. And the season uh, just started. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you seen Eugene Levy's uh, Nature? The Travel movie? Show? Uh, yeah. Not a big documentary fan, but I've seen that it's on. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I mean, it, I think it's really great really well shot really well done i mean for anybody that's interested in the production side of it watch it because to do that kind of documentary and to be out in the snow in a jeep or something when it's snowing on them and the shot is so beautiful and perfect and you can see behind them i'm really interested if anybody knows how they did that i'd love to know because it's just shot so well but it's all green screen um, but yeah, no, <laughs> if it is, I would be really impressed. So I want to thank you both very much from coming in from the heartland or from wherever you are in your house to talk about life in the heartland. And like I mentioned, we will have links to all of the things we've discussed on the website at tvjerry.com. I yes. want to thank Lysandra Peterson from Deep Structure Productions and Mason Mills from VPM for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. I've been talking about the new VPM series, Life in the Heartland, with executive producer Mason Mills and director Lysandra Peterson. There's a link to the series on the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com. Coming soon in theaters. Super Mario Brothers movie. Last week it was Dungeons and Dragons. Now this video game gets the big screen treatment with Chris Pratt, Charlie Day, and Jack Black. Air. Ben Affleck teams up with his buddy Matt Damon for the first time since they won an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting. This follows the story of a shoe salesman who led Nike to Michael Jordan and the titular shoe. Paint. Owen Wilson plays Carl Nargle, the Happy Trees painter from PBS. Little Richard, I Am Everything. A documentary on the rock and roll legend is showing one night only on the 11th at 7 p.m. Beautiful Disaster, a college freshman is challenged by a charmer who offers to remain sex-free for one month if he loses his underground boxing match. Only playing Wednesday and Thursday night. And coming on the 13th and the 16th only is The Lost Weekend, a love story, which explores the 18-month romantic relationship between John Lennon and his Chinese-American assistant, Mei Pang. TV and streaming. Tiny Beautiful Things on Hulu. This series is adapted from the Dear Sugar Advice columns featuring Katherine Hahn as the columnist. Schmigadoon on Apple TV is back for a new season with the same cast but in a different, darker musical kingdom called Schmicago. Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies on Paramount Plus. This takes place before the classic musical and sets up the wild gang of girls at Rydell High. Beef on Netflix, Steven Yeun and Ali Wong play two people who get involved in a road rage incident. Praise This on Peacock, a drama about a young woman with big dreams as a singer in a gospel youth choir in Atlanta. Chupa on Netflix, a boy on a family trip to Mexico discovers a young chupacabra hiding in his grandfather's shed. You know, you can subscribe to this podcast on all the usual services, or you can go to tvjerry.com, click on the podcast page, and there's a link. Next week will be a double feature about two films coming to this year's James River Film Festival. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. 
For more Sister, including literally thousands, thousands of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.